to see we do have a voice. I'm your host, Shelly Turner. Being diagnosed with breast cancer is where the discussion starts. Breast cancer doesn't care where you live. It doesn't care who you know, how healthy you are, how many initials you have behind your name, or what color your skin is. This podcast is a platform that will create discussion in order to help you find your story, your decisions, your information, and your understanding. Now let's get into it. This is Shelly again. How is everybody? We're back. And today we're back with a different kind of show. Our platform has definitely been dealing with breast cancer survivors and their stories. And we've had wonderful women telling their stories, sharing their experiences, sharing their resources, being very clear on how you do as a breast cancer survivor or someone going through breast cancer treatment, how it's really important that you advocate for yourself. But today my show is very different. We talk about um, on previous shows about how the family is affected and you know how you have to navigate your diagnosis with your family and today, my show is different because my guest is a family member, my family member. And we decided to do the show a little different today because my family member is my brother. And we together have lost three sisters that have lost their battle to breast cancer. We've had another sister that's been diagnosed that did very well with treatment and as I've mentioned on several occasions in you know our story, I've had breast cancer three times and I'm here to tell the story. I invited my brother today so we could get a different perspective on how breast cancer death because of breast cancer affects the family, not just only the spouse, not just only the children, but the siblings. So today, my guest is my sibling, Aaron, Aaron, thank you so much for agreeing to do this because like I mentioned before, we have just been dealing with stories of survivors, their stories, their journey. And today I've invited Aaron to tell his story. Welcome to my show, honey. How's it going? Glad to be here. Thank you. Glad to get my perspective. Because I want it. Because we talk often about it. That's an understatement. And we have that in common. So I've invited you to share your story. With a lot much more in common, but this is one of the major things we have in common. The loss of loved ones and the news of loved ones being uh, diagnosed. It's a tough situation, but we do have that in common. And you want to talk about how does it feel? Because I know, you know, people talk about breast cancer all the time. But when you hear breast cancer, you have to respond. Even if you don't do verbally, you respond in a different way because you personally have, you have been affected. When I hear about breast cancer, it's a little bit different news because I've had so many sisters affected by it. I have six sisters. Five of them have been, been diagnosed. Three have passed. So uh, the effects on me is it's kind of heavy because I do consider myself close with all of my sisters, and when my sisters pass from it, and then I hear certain news bits about advances in breast cancer for selfish reasons, I I do get a little bit upset because I feel like they could have came out with those cures or advances 
while my sisters were still here in the flesh. So we have three sisters that have lost a journey. And the last one to lose the journey was our baby sister. And you were extremely, extremely close with her. That's an understatement. My little sister was like my daughter. Many times when um, I've made decisions in life, there, were, there was a point in time when I had talked with my wife about maybe moving out of state, maybe to Nevada or Texas or just some other state, just because I know how the cost of living in California is so high. A lot of my decisions as to why I shouldn't leave is because of my little brother and my little sister. Um, I, I raised them since they were young, so my little sister is almost the equivalent of my daughter. So when I lost her, it, um, it took a lot of gas out of me. We have two other sisters that died of breast cancer, and their mother also died of cancer. And I will say I wasn't that close to them because I didn't see them often, but to know that we all had that in common, I was a little you know, a little irritated at that because it's like, well, we're, why do all four of us have breast cancer? And I don't have that remorse like, you know, why did, how come I didn't die? How come I didn't, you know, how come I'm still alive? I still have my life. I am thriving. But my sisters weren't able to thrive. And on the show, we talk about the limited resources for people that are limited in their information. That and, is correct. And the two sisters that were, you know, both lost the battle, I believe they were very limited in resources because of lifestyle. And we talk about that on the show all the time, about how lifestyle dictates your, uh, your availability to the information so you can advocate for yourself. But I will comfortably say I just don't think they had the resources. I know they were not advocating for themselves. I know that personally, they just were not getting the treatment that they should have gotten. No, they didn't get the treatment they should have received. And the thing about me with, with all of my sisters, my attitude is I'm close with all of my sisters. And I don't care whether I've talked to them once in one year or once in 10 years. My bond with my sisters, every single one of them, my attitude is we're pretty tight. And with regard to not even talking about my little sister, but my other two sisters that passed away, we were pretty tight too. We talked all the time. Um, we had conversations. Um, we pretty much kept in contact. So when they passed, it hit pretty hard. The first one that passed, um, my sister Yvette, we were really tight. But when she got sick, it kind of seemed like um, it was hidden from me. And I didn't find out until the last minute that uh, she had passed and I never got to say goodbye. When the sister underneath that one, uh, Tonette passed, me and my little brother did have an opportunity to go and uh, see her. And uh, there were times where she was in so much pain from uh, the cancer that uh, they actually had her on morphine and we would be sitting at the hospital, either at Harbor UCLA or the hospital in Las Vegas. And she would be out of it and couldn't even communicate with us. And we would sit there for four hours and would leave, and then she would contact me the next day saying, why didn't I wake her up? And it's, why would I wake you up? You're in pain, so you just enjoy what you can. I consider myself um, a brother to all of my siblings, and, and, and I, I love them all the same. 
them not having the resources. I did see that they didn't have the resources like my little sister had. Mm-hmm. My little sister had better resources and she fought to the very end. And with her, I was a little bit more involved because I got to see it head on. She would call me and tell me certain diagnoses. I had the the privilege of buying the wigs and helping her out and, and things of that nature. And I saw her, you know, the day before she passed, but it, it really doesn't matter with all my sisters. That are, and, and to be honest with you, it doesn't even matter. Honestly speaking, it doesn't matter whether my sisters have passed or they haven't passed. Uh, just the news of hearing my sisters have got it, particularly um, the sister sitting next to me, it causes a fear, a certain apprehension because um, if you cry, I'm going to beat you up. I'm not. See, that was one thing I thought about I'm having not, him here. I'm not crying. He's overly sensitive and he will cry. He's going to cry before this interview is over. No. Yes, I'm not you are. Cry. Yes, the thing you is, are. you know, with, with, with my sisters, um, this one next to me, I talk to her at least about three or four times a week. And we've been talking forever. And just to, just to fear that something can even come back and reoccur or knowing that this cancer gene runs in my family, particularly with the females, sometimes I do have that fear that that might be something that hits my daughter. So whether they passed or not, it still uh, scares me as to not, not just what has happened in the past, but what can happen in the future. The future. Yes. And we talk about the future on this show too, because there are so many different things that are available now that were not available to Yvette or Tonette that Tanisha did have access to. So I think about them all the time when I say the resources, because we talk about on the show a lot about insurance not being available or not having the right insurance or the racial tension in oncology with, you know, with African-American women that have been diagnosed with cancer, they see you coming and they determine either the, the lack of treatment or the abundance of treatment that you're going to get. They decide. And it's really, really sad when you think about it. But the women that we've had on the show that I've had the privilege of being guests on this show have given so many different facets of, you know, the treatment, the, the stigmatism, all these things that really do go with breast cancer now because you can't be, you know, a blonde white girl walking into the oncologist's office and get the same information that we as African-American women go. And I will never forget one of my guests said her doctor told her that black women don't get mammograms. So I don't know with my two sisters what they were offered, what they weren't offered, what they were given information to, what they had lack of information of. If they were, we talk about the clinical trials, how clinical trials are only offered if you have the insurance that would allow for you really to become data, because that's all you are at that point. A clinical trial for me just means Traditional's not gonna work, but we have this new clinical trial that we've been testing. And one of our guests made it very clear, but have you tested it on African-American women? We are, we are different, we are different. Our genes are different. What works on someone else is not gonna work on me. So I that's, what, that. that's what I, you know, why I think about my sisters that lost the battle all the time. 
were they given every opportunity? Well, the problem here is, um, to me, I, I do agree with you with regard to uh, the difference in treatment between uh, African-American women and women of a different uh, ethnicity. However, a lot of that also has to do with the fact that a lot of the women that are diagnosed that are African-American diagnosed with cancer, a lot of times they come from a not so well-to-do socioeconomic uh, background. And we talked so, about that. So when you have someone who, say for instance, uh, like my younger sister, she of course, she worked at a hospital. So I honestly believe that they tried to give her the best treatment possible with regard to her cancers and they were you know, head on. But when it came to Yvette and Tonette, um, they weren't well-to-do. No. They they come from Not at all. Um, a South Central background. And I hate to say it, but your doctors, no knock against any doctors and any doctors listen to this, understand that, I understand the situation, but your medical care that you receive in Watts, Compton, is how you South look. Central. Is how you look. Is is different than the <laughs> medical treatment that you receive in Bel Air, mm. Beverly Hills, Palm Springs, uh, things of that nature. So, I don't think that they got a fair chance to uh, fight this. I don't even really know if you really want to call it a disease, because when I say a disease, I think of a disease as something that's communicable, that can be spread upon air contact or just right. person to person. But um, this diabolical ailment that ravishes families and women and causes them to lose body parts and things of that nature. I don't think they got a fair chance to have the the best treatment possible so that they can at least have an opportunity to be sitting here where I'm here and having a conversation with you about their ailment. And that's, that's a key point because we talk about they treat you based on who they see coming through the door. And they already determined, oh, well, they don't know. We're just going to tell them this. We're going to tell them that. And one of my, my stories on this platform is I had uh, a friend of mine's mom who lost her battle because it got diagnosed and treated so late. But how she was told, oh, well, we can't start your chemo for 30 days because the chemotherapy is going to be shipped here from Miami. Oh, my God. Who believes that? Right. That's not true. Right. That's not true. But for a family to sit and hear that story and accept it, because that's what the doctor said. You know, the doctor said this. And then they make phone calls, and we collectively made phone calls, and her treatment was started the next day. But those are the type of things that black women are going through. And when you go in there and, like, you know, who, who can say, oh, yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. But for a newly diagnosed woman, that's going to the doctor for the first time, that's getting ready to do the biopsy, that's getting ready to do the mammogram, that's getting ready to, you know, do start the radiation. You have got to learn about what you've been told that you have. Correct. Your whole family. And if you have a spouse, sometimes the spouse is not a good, you know, a good reference point. And we talk about that. So it's not. But if you decide you want to live you decide you want to get more information about this breast cancer thing that has now showed up. And we talk about why the program is called C. We do have a voice because 
I just don't want cancer to be the loudest voice in the room anymore because cancer has to ask you to talk. You know, cancer has to say, well, can I talk now? Absolutely not. We're going to shut you down. We're going to shut you down all the way. And you're going to listen to me because I'm running the show. This is my life. And you are not going to be the loudest voice in the room anymore. So when we talk about the, the racial barrier between different ethnicities of women because of the color of your skin or your background, the letters behind your name, what school you went to, what kind of job you have. There's a lady right now that's doing a public, you know, announcement that she's having to deal with breast cancer. And every time she talks about it, she's, she's just, she's broken. Right. You know, she's broken. And it's like, don't let cancer break you. Cancer is designed to take your life, but you own your life. Your life belongs to you. So when you hear the diagnosis of cancer, that's why I wanted you to talk about as a sibling, you know, you heard breast cancer over and over and over again. Right. And who said that was supposed to be, you know, your claim to fame? Just like anything else in life, I never thought that uh, breast cancer would be a prevalent issue in my family. Um, and a lot of this has to deal with basically education about mm -hmm. um, breast cancer and the opportunities for all women, black, white, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, all women have the ability and opportunity to go and simply get tested. Um, my little sister found out just by going with someone else to go and get a mammogram and mm -hmm. they asked her to do it and she didn't think she needed to do it. And just on a whim, she said, you know what, that's fine. And she got tested and she's, my understanding is while she's on the freeway, she got a call saying, you need to come back. where she never would have done it because it wasn't really something that was stressed in our family. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really stressed outside of the family because- Just was a conversation. It was just a conversation you hear about it on TV. Or and, somebody else. And, and, and that happens to somebody else and that's somebody else's family. Mm -hmm. So the sad thing is, again, not trying to blame uh, socioeconomics on a lot of things, but I think there is a lack of opportunity for people of the uh, not so fortunate economic background to even simply go and get tested mm -hmm. and, and have the opportunity to have full dialogue, conversation, and education on that. How has it affected me? It's affected me greatly because um, not only do I have sadness about the people I've lost, but just the fact of living in fear of who I could lose. And then on, on top of that, going through the process of looking at someone who um, you've grown up with all your life, go through the pain of being bald-headed. And they have to ask you if there's any way possible you can buy them a, a human hair wig so that they could go to work and not have people look at them a certain way or they had to miss work and they need a little bit of help on a, a bill or two. Those are all the subsidiary side effects of having someone in your family with cancer because you have to make sure that you create an environment that is the least amount of stress for that person as possible because my understanding is that cancer feeds off of a few things. Uh, one of them is sugar. The other one is stress. Mm -hmm. And the more stress you have, the harder it is to shake. 
And so because we don't know how to de-stress. Right. We don't and know so what that when you means. have a situation where you have children that have to get to school, you have bills that have to be paid and you're trying to live a regular life as much as possible. You have to, as a sibling, stand up and be there for that person, regardless of what it is and, and, and what your station in life is. And, and that's how it affects those that are not just husbands, but brothers, sisters of those people. You never expect that hearing that news kind of makes you take on a certain job or responsibility, but you kind of do, even if it's just no more than joking around and clowning around when they're around to try to get them to forget what they have going on. Me and my little sister, we always had an, uh, a thing where uh, the way we would show affection sometimes is we would crack jokes on each other. And you have to be conscious of the fact that certain things are off limits. And if anybody said anything that was off limits, you have to make sure that you control yourself to not want to do something for somebody who's made that situation and said something that was off limits. Because you're all about that. Because I you're love my little that. brother and sister. I love my sisters. I love all of my brothers. He's our my, guardian my, angel. My, 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 Let's just say that he's our guardian angel. He's the one that will do and will do and will do. So that's why I wanted him on this show because he's the emotional, very emotional child. And I wanted him to emotionally just be able to communicate his love for all of us because that's what all of this is really about. This show is about the love that my little brother has for all of his sisters and having to internalize them all being diagnosed with breast cancer and for the ones that he lost because we talk about it all the time. My little sister, Tanisha, we had the same kind of cancer. We took the same BRCA test. The BRCA test came back for both of us and it was positive. So we had the same identical thing. And right now, even in my phone, I still have all the text messages that she sent me with the new treatment because she was, because she was in the medical field, she had access to clinical trials and she would send me these long texts. Well, we're going to try this and this text, you know, this is supposed to be good for the lung cancer and this is supposed to be good for this and this and this. She did everything. So when we talk about resources and advocation, she was right there in the midst of it. She worked in the hospital. She yes. worked with surgeons. She worked with an oncology team. So like I said, today, she's been gone four years now? It'll be five years in May. Wow, okay. And I still have all these texts. You know, I have not deleted her from my phone, and sometimes it just pops up. But the fact is, we're talking about the yin and the yang because we have two sisters that just really did not have the resources. And we have one sister that had an overwhelming basket of resources and it still did not work. So a lot of times I don't have survivor's remorse, but I think about her like that because we had the same cancer. Her cancer came back and it ravaged her body. But you know, she did the right thing. She had her breast removed. She did the reconstruction. We were all sitting there in the hospital while she's doing the reconstructions. And it's like, great, she's got new titties, she's happy, you know, but then it comes back. 
And on the day that my mom and dad called her home to like, okay, we're waiting on you, let's go. You know, cause that, that's how it was to me. It was just like, what are you waiting here for? You right. had a lot of pain. We got a better place for you. Come on, let's go. And the day that we went to see her, what she was describing to me, I had never seen. And I even had this conversation with my oncologist because the breast cancer had come back, but it was in her lungs and her brain. And it was so dominant in her lungs that it was growing outside of her lungs. And right. she had boulders sitting like on right her, her chest, chin. Mm -hmm. right under her chin. And when I described this to my doctor, he was like, well, it was kind of interesting to him because the cancer had come back so big and was just going crazy. It started to grow outside of her. The crazy thing is that in January of that year, she had had that removed. Right, she did. And she did. Um, she she had sent me pictures of the stitch mark or the scar mm -hmm. or whatever when she got it removed. That's in January. Um, come April, I guess it had come back, and she didn't tell me. And um, you know, it was crazy because um, her and my little brother. Um, they wanted to get a room in San Bernardino. I think it was kind of like my little sister's farewell. I think she kind of knew. And uh, she had asked me if I could help them pay for a room, and I did. And when I went to go see my little brother, I mean, my little brother and sister, because they, they, they had the room there, um, she asked me not to leave. And I didn't know. She didn't say nothing to me. But when I left, when I was leaving, I just remember her saying, um, you know what, man, you've always been a good brother, man. You know, you've always been like my dad. And uh, I just want you to know that um, I love you. And I'm like, man, get out of here. You know, it's you know, it's Mother's Day. I got to get to my wife and my kid. You know, it's Mother's Day. But you good. I'll catch up with you. And she just had this look, and I didn't notice until two weeks later when she passed. And the thing that bothers me the most about the situation is that when it comes to um, my family, um, I've always been, um, I'm not trying to blow myself up or to my own horn, but I always kind of feel like I've always been a fixer. Um, somebody he is, has, somebody he has is. a problem. He is. He um, is the fixer. He's going to get the um, call and he's going to come. I'm going to get the call. I'm going to fuss about it a little bit. But he's know? he's going to be there by the time he finished fussing. He's at the door. And, and, and the fact that I couldn't fix this situation is um, a scar that has, listen, let me let me tell you about my other sister. I don't mean to, I'm not trying to dominate the conversation, but just when I went to go see my other sister, Tonette, in the hospital, I never knew her cancer was that bad until me and my little brother was there, and we were talking, and I've never seen anything like this in my life. We were talking, and in the midst of me and my little brother and my sister, Tonette, talking, her left breast just started leaking blood. And I had never seen that before. And the fact that I couldn't fix that, all I can do is just look. And the fact that I couldn't fix that, that's the problem I have with this whole situation. Why can't I have a situation or have the power to be able to make sure that nobody gets this? My wife just ended up having her test uh, yesterday. And she told me she was going to get a test. 
I'm driving today and I'm sitting there, I'm like hoping I don't get any bad news with her because I can't fix it. How do I fix it? And that's the part that, that hurts the family members outside of the husband and the wife and, and things of that nature is you want to be able to do whatever you can to fix the situation. And in this situation here with cancer, you have no ability to simply erase it and fix it. And it leaves a scar on you, your heart, your life, your brain for the rest of your life. And that's the painful part about this entire situation. And that's why it was important to have you here because there are different perspectives in a family dynamic when cancer comes knocking at the door. Your whole family has been invited to a party and you're the host. You don't even have to RSVP because you're going to a party. It's real important that we hear from the families, that we get the families involved because it's just not the mother or the sister, the wife that's being diagnosed because what is being diagnosed that day is gonna affect the whole household and not just for that day, forever, forever, regardless of the outcome of this cancer that's come to the mommy or come to the wife or come to the sister, it's going to affect the whole family because everybody's going to have their own perspective, where it came from, how'd you get it? You know, we've talked about some crazy myths where some people think it's contagious. We've talked about how some husbands have left their wives with the children. We talk about, you know, how a lot of women, unfortunately, like to keep it secret. Right. Don't want to talk about it. Right. And those are the ones that do lose the battle unnecessarily because if you talk about it, somebody can help you be about it. You know, somebody go out and we, we have a lot of people on the show that talk about the resources, where to get it. And it's not just for the woman that's being diagnosed. It's for the family. It's for the husband because your husband also has been diagnosed. Your husband's get his life is ever getting ready to be the same. Never. We have husbands that, you know, don't understand that chemotherapy is going to eliminate your sexual drive. Correct. Well, if you're not having sex with me, you must be having sex with somebody else. So it's important that in the diagnosis of breast cancer, we educate your household. If it's just you and your dog, your dog is not going to see you that much anymore. Your dog is going to have to be, you know, sit, sit a few walks down. You know, you're going to have to have somebody else walk your dog. Whatever you have in your household is going to be affected. So that's why it's important what you're saying and what your, you know, what your heart is sharing with us right now is that it's just not the person. It's not. It's, it's, it's a situation also where you as a uncle to your sister's kids, mm -hmm. you have to step up. And step in. And, <laughs> and, and try to be there as much as possible because you know that they have a large void in their life mm -hmm. and you're somehow trying to fill that void. And this is a void that you will never ever be able to fill. No. But you have to, people don't understand that when someone is diagnosed with cancer and they pass and that person passes mm -hmm. that the effects on their family actually affects your family because you have to step up for your sister's family mm -hmm. and it's and it's tough but 
It has to be done. And well, I come from a school from my father where you have two choices in life. And then and, and that's that's your attitude too. And even though you're not a man, one thing my father taught me is you have two choices. You either man up or man down. And manning down is not a not an option. You have to man up. And when it comes to my family and my nieces and nephews, both related and by blood and not blood related, I man up. And when it comes to anybody in my family that's affected by it, I man up. And I, and, and I think that I have no choice but to be there because God has given me the ability to be in a certain station and in a position mentally to be able to be there emotionally for those that I love dearly. That's a point, though. That's, that's a key point because, like I said, we've had guests on this show that don't have that family structure. And I can piggyback on what you said. We come from a seriously, seriously strong family dynamic, and it's never any man left behind. It's never, no one, everyone is involved, regardless what it is, where it is, who it is, 20, 30, 40, 50 of us at that, you know, that it is, everybody's involved. Every, right. Everybody takes a, a role. If it's just a communicating role, just, hey, how you doing? But with us having breast cancer in the volume that we've had it, I will say I thank God and I'm, I wouldn't want to be in another family with the diagnosis because everybody steps up. Everybody participates. We have well, I wouldn't want you to be in another family. You're my sister, so that's not even an option. Oh, Next. here he goes. He's getting ready to cry. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> but we have another brother, too, that is the one. You know, he's not leaving until the doctor says it's over. Right. Then, then he's going to leave, and then he's going to come back and make sure you got a ride. So even my first diagnosis... The, consulta the consultation they have with your family and your spouse. My brother, my brother was sitting there like, okay, come on, wh you know, what time, wh where are we going? And I know that's not normal for a lot of people. I know that that is not available to a lot of women. And I would just always say in this show that for the women newly diagnosed, you have to find a way to speak up advocate for yourself because the help is more out there now than it was years ago. You know, we're, we're, we're in a new arena of breast cancer, you know, information. We have on the show women that have organizations that will come where you are and bring it to you, but you have to reach out. The olive branch is there. And if you don't go get it, then you won't get it. It's just like anything else in life. It's there if you want to go get it, but the key is you have to go get it. So with the family dynamic of being, you know, a breast cancer survivor, a newly breast cancer in treatment, you need your family. You're going to need your family. So it's real important that your family has a say. If your children have questions, if your spouse has some questions, just like Aaron said, you know, my little sister, she she was, a, you know, a hot to tati, little hottie. She needed a wig. Some women don't need a wig. She wanted a real hair wig. What do you call that? Fresh hair? A, a, a human hair yeah, wig. Yeah, human hair wig. She wasn't having it no other way, but she wore it. It looked she real good it. on her. It looked it looked great on her. At Without one point, question. I was like, your hair grew back like that? Because mm -hmm. it was good. But, you know, I'm on the opposite spectrum. I can't have it. I, you know, I'd rather be bald. So different women, you know, I saw a woman on TV. She's, she's going with the cap. One of our interviewees, she has, you know, she went with the cap. 
And her hair is amazing. She's, you know, her hair is beautiful. But it's all about the socioeconomic place that you are because breast cancer treatment is not cheap, especially when you go over and above and beyond and you're getting referred to, oh, well, go do this. They'll do this. Like our last guest. I mean, she wore me out because she's doing so many things I've never heard of. It's like, where did you, how do you know about that? Right. How do you know about this? But her whole life is based now on her diagnosis of breast cancer, and she's determined to win the battle. And if I had to, you know, put my bet, I'm betting on her because she's doing everything because she has the information. Right. So on, you know, different ends of the spectrum, we've seen in our family resources versus no resources. But at the end, they all three of them lost their battle. That's right. So it depends on the quality of life you choose, but you got to, you just have to be real clear. But at the end of the day, you have to make sure that as the uh, family member, and, and, and a lot of times when I say family member, I'm not talking about just blood relatives. I'm talking about friends too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not just talking about breast cancer. I have a friend that um, I consider a brother who uh, came down with um, throat cancer. He's an attorney. And the strength that um, you've shown in your battle, I was able to convey onto him with regard to how he should handle it and and uh, take some of the stress off by being there for him and taking some of his cases and, and just let him know, hey, you know, you you got a friend in me, and and that's because of the strength that you exuded and showed other people how to handle the situation. And uh, he's now cancer-free, and uh, he's living a good life, and he's uh, he's good. So sometimes when we're talking about family, don't just limit it to your, your blood relatives. Mm-hmm. You have to pick and choose those people that you choose to consider good friends, and, and you make sure that when that friend is in need, you also stand there and and be there for them too. Well, that's what the whole point of this show was, to have you on to get a different perspective. Because like I said, the show generally has been geared to women that are in treatment, that yep. have gone through treatment, yep. and that are now thriving as breast cancer survivors. So you coming on today I just wanted to add another perspective of a family member who also is affected and has a story. So you coming here today, I want you to know I thoroughly appreciate you. I love you with every beat of my heart and I love you because of the heart God has given you. And we talk about that all the time, but I just want to tell you that I really appreciate you for coming and agreeing to come because, you know, usually in breast cancer diagnosis, men, they have the problem. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to share it. They just don't want to deal with it. But I thank you for coming because I know you did. You had no choice but to deal with it. So I just want to thank you for lending. No, you shouldn't lending. be thanking me. Don't thank me. Okay, well, I the am. Thank, the, thank you, the, <laughs> the thank you actually goes to you and, and everyone else, um, especially you. Um, because uh, you he chose to fight. He is my biggest fan, you cho- so you know. You chose to fight this out, and um, 
you chose to uh, be here and serve the purpose for which you're supposed to uh, be serving. So if anybody should be thanking anyone, it should be me thanking you for not manning down and laying down and accepting this as it's supposed to be a part of your life. So me, I appreciate you, and I thank you. We appreciate each other. All day. Thank you for coming. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Make sure to follow and rate this show wherever you get your podcast. This podcast is produced by Rainbow Creative with executive producer Matthew Jones, producers Stephen Selnick, and editors and mixers Rob Johnson and Stefano Montelli. See you on the next one.